first time I went there was at the end of 2015. And it looks like a Brazilian Tokyo. As soon as you drive up to Hosinia, there's, it's called Via Appia, it's the main shopping street. And it was just hustling and bustling, bearing in mind it was like 11 p.m. Tons of neon lights and signs and people selling stuff, eating, drinking, laughing, hanging out, loud music. Uh, yeah, it really threw me off. When most people leave school, they'll either go on a gap year or head to university or get a job. Not Mikey Krasanowski. So this is a guy that you've probably never heard of. I was put in touch with him through a mate, actually. And he left school to set up a creative collective called GOMA, uh, which focuses on community projects with what they call an environmental conscience. Now, earlier this year, Mikey went out to the Rossinia favela in Rio de Janeiro to make a documentary about a surf school that's empowering a generation. So I asked Mikey, what was his documentary about? So there's a group of surfers in the favela and there's, I think there's about four generations of surfers that have passed through Hosinia. And what they do is they teach kids how to surf, they repair broken boards they find on the beach and they also link them up with local English schools to make sure they're learning a second language. And I wanted to show their message to the world because as opposed to the school I was volunteering at, they were quite inexperienced in getting volunteer help and getting funding and they're just kind of running it super grassroots level. So the documentary aims to show the surfers and the amazing work they do and also to act as a bit of a brushstroke on a new picture of Hosinia because there just hasn't been enough media or whatnot showing the amazing things that are there visually um, and in the community too. How did you come across the surf school in the first place? So... The first time I met the surfers was, it was on a Wednesday, uh, where they go and they their English classes because I wanted to learn how to surf. And someone told me roughly where the HQ was and I couldn't find it. And the reason I couldn't find it is because it's on the second floor of someone's house. You have to climb up a ladder, get past a chicken that sits there all day and they've got this kind of little shed made out of brick and mortar. It's, it's crazy, it is so cool. Yeah, couldn't find them myself the first time, but taught them English on a Wednesday. Uh, that was how I first met them, yeah. Okay, and then what's the background of the surf school? Like, when, when did it start? There's two surf schools. There's a Surf Escola de Hosinha, and there's Associação de Surf Hosinha. Formerly, ASR were founded around 10 years ago. Surfing's been in the favela since the 80s, uh, I was talking to Marcio, one of the oldest surfers there, and he was reminiscing about a time when surfing, they had one surfboard between 12 of them, and they had to wait in a line at the beach. Uh, so it's been around since the 80s, but I think formally ASR were uh, established around 12, yeah, 10, 11 years ago. Wow, so you must have a huge cross-section of like generations. Like, are there still some older boys surfing today? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I was comparing it to skateboarding in the same way that you get these old guys that rock up at skate parks with their socks pulled up right to their knees and wearing dickies, shorts or whatever. 
And then at the beach, you get these kind of 45, 50 year old guys with their really big boards ready to go out and have, have a good surf. But I mean, yeah, surfing's definitely a sport where you can have that. You can really have a wide age bracket of people doing it. What is it actually like during the day, midday in Rosinia? Midday in Rosinia is probably, I'd say quite quiet, especially in the summer uh, when it gets quite hot. Everyone's kind of sheltering from the heat a little bit. Uh, you may find a couple tanned old men with their bellies out drinking a beer on the street. Um, you can probably hear some music in the background. Uh, some really loud bass. You'll hear a lot of motorbikes rushing up and down the streets. Yeah, it's. I think the day starts quite slowly. It's very relaxed and it's very sociable. It's complete. It's not like London where every, everyone's got a direction. Did you find yourself getting into the swing of that lifestyle? Without a doubt, uh, Brazilians. Are, I'm. I'm used to being ten minutes early for everywhere I go, and Brazilians have a completely different schedule to mine. <laughs> uh, so I did, I ended up kind of walking around uh, once, I, once I wasn't a shade of off-white. Walking around, get my T-shirt off, hanging out, being 20 minutes late for everything. And uh, it's definitely, it's a very fun way of life and very relaxed, but not something I want to do till I'm like 60, I don't think. At what point do people normally go off and go surfing? And what is, what's the surf culture actually like on the beach? So I'd say... The local beach to Hosinia is really amazing because, uh, so it's called San Corrado and it's shared between Hosinia and San Corrado, the uh, more affluent, rich neighbourhood next to it. And it's the only, one of the only beaches in Rio where you can kind of leave your bag unattended and not have to worry about people stealing anything. The surf community and their presence on the beach, I'd say... It's obvious they're there because they're there in their numbers. They're all together laughing, kind of making a bit of noise. They've definitely got a strong beach presence. You know that you know they're there and they're having a good time. Right. But Hosinia, the surfers, one of the most amazing things about them that I love is uh, they get surfers go to bed early and they wake up early. And that's something that if you can instill that in younger kids, especially when they're like 13 or 14, instead of, kids here that might be staying up till 4am watching videos on YouTube, they're in bed by 10 o'clock and they're up at like 5am, 4.30am ready to get that good surf and that's a really beautiful time in the favela hmm. where there's still that kind of iridescent blue light before the sun's rising and they're all meet up, everyone's still a little bit sleepy but they're all walking down to the beach together, they grab their boards and go Wow, it sounds so much more rounded than British kids yeah, I mean, that's what was amazing. Of So I taught I taught the uh, surfers English class, and now I taught a normal English class with just kids from the day school. And the difference between the surfer kids and the normal kids was just amazing. They're like the dream students because they're all extremely chilled out, really funny, but at the same time never took any jokes too far and would always cut back and get back on track straight away. What you've just painted is a picture of quite what sounds like quite a rosy and dreamy mm -hmm. place where every like you know it's beautiful and there's there's a good culture there and you've got mm -hmm. these well-behaved kids who go off surfing. But 
there are a lot of problems in the favela as well. And did you, how much of that did you see while you were out there? One morning, we wanted to film uh, my friend Carlos. Uh, he's one of the surf instructors. And we wanted to film him really early in the morning, heading down to the beach. But we woke up, and my friend Jorvan, uh, a guy who lives at the top of the favela, uh, we paid him to be our translator for two weeks. And uh, we were walking down, and we were going to be late. Uh, so my friend Joe was like, look, I'll jump on a motor taxi. We'll g- I'll get there in time and wait for Carlos. Jorvan was like, yeah, I know the way. I can take us a shortcut. We'll get there before Joe. So we're walking around. Jorvan takes us a back way through the top of the favela, which is right on the periphery of the jungle. But as we walked up to the spot where we were going to meet my friend Carlos, I just saw a slightly worried Joe who was sat with, like, I'd say, four kids with machine guns next to him, two guys further down the road with guns. I tried to just play it cool as much as I could. So we were sat there at 5.30 in the morning, surrounded by these kids, and we were all just kind of hanging out together They didn't say anything to us. We didn't say anything to them. They were just playing cards and hanging out. And I think it ended up being a really peaceful moment. Just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying the podcast, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You could even give us a rating and a review on iTunes, which will also help others to discover the show. Now, back to Mikey. Can you tell me a bit about the drug culture in the favelas? So, quite notorious, the drug gangs in favelas. In Orsinia, there was a big pacification by the police in 2008 where the police came in, they tried to flush all of this out um, because it was run by uh, the traficants, uh, the drug gangs, uh, until then. So the traficants would be using the money to pay for the school buses, give loans to local businesses. And there's a lot of interesting discussion in amongst the community about whether it was better before or post-pacification. Um, but the traffic uh, it's a structural thing where you'll have younger kids who would just look out, sat on the corner of streets. They'll have walkie-talkies or whatnot. Uh, you'll have slightly older kids then further in into the favela, down some paths with guns. I've never seen anyone else kind of older than that. And something that in the documentary we chose not to shine a light on because these kids, are they're very glamorised and they're with the money they're going to buy Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein and whatnot. We just didn't want to give them any more limelight. And, of course, everyone's going to shoot a documentary and try and get that shot of a kid with a gun. And I think it's just not what we were trying to do and... A bit of a kind of, it's a, like a, almost like a low-lying fruit. Oh, my God. A Wesley interview, take two, day five. Here we go. Can you tell us a story of you or your friends? Uma história engraçada. A lot of the surfers in their interviews, they say we want to raise athletes and create citizens. Um, and I think that was their drive of they wanted to create, they wanted to give kids in the favela a direction, whether that's because they're skipping school or going to go down the wrong path. I know that from hanging out with Carlos and Wesley, Wesley even says he's had, he counts he, in the interview, he was like, 
I think we've got around 10 of my friends that have gone round the, down the wrong path and only about three of those are left. Alguns dos meus amigos que foram no caminho errado, a maioria tudo morreu. Só ficaram dois, três. And that's when it really hits you, like, so this isn't just about getting down to the beach and having fun. It's really real out here. Yeah. How old's Wesley? Wesley's 15. And that's what... I started crying. So my friend Joe was... While Wesley was doing his interview, me and Joe were sat in the room behind him and Joe was quickly transcribing in English uh, what he was saying, just so we had a rough idea and if he need, was answering questions correctly. And it's just a horrible thing to realise that a 15-year-old kid is having to live through that. Wow. What's the water quality like there? Is it right? Is it... So the water at San Corrado, there's, there's a big issue with pollution. Um, so the infrastructure in the favela hasn't had as much, near, nowhere near as much money put into it as, say, the military policing have. You can smell, like, human waste everywhere, especially after it rains and everything kind of gets flushed out. And then sometimes uh, the Valau, uh, this specific area, the sewer, it can overflow and then the people are having to walk through it. It's disgusting. And uh, that all ends up, goes straight to the beach and straight into the best spot for surfing. And they've moved the pipe uh, with the raw sewage that goes straight into the sea untreated. Uh, and there's been talks about the surface said, oh, there's people that are putting chemicals in the water so that it gets rid of the smell and you can't see uh, the big kind of murky brown puddle it almost leaves behind. So you're, even now you're, what, 19, 20? 20, just turned 20. Just turned yesterday. 20. Oh, right, happy yeah. birthday. Thank you very much. So a lot of people your age, I would say the vast majority of people would either go on a gap year, go to university or get a job, like a normal job and you're doing something completely different why is that um i think i came to i really realized i think on the first trip out there that i don't want to be doing a job when i'm older that isn't going to be helping someone and that doesn't have to that doesn't necessarily mean charity work literally i think like being a teacher is a perfect example of that uh you're doing an amazing thing raising the next generation. Um, yeah, being a, te being a teacher is kind of a perfect example of doing something that really does help people um, in, the, in the long term anyway. But yeah, I, that, I really realised that I don't want to be doing a job that isn't going to be helping people. Oh, man. So what's the next project? So uh, the next project. So I'd say for the majority of this year, we're going to be really working hard to uh, kind of expand this Brazil thing. Mm -hmm. So going to going to back to our senior and filming the documentary was almost like the starting block. Um, after this, we're going to be focusing on one environmental project, one social project in the favela. We're not completely set on those yet, but one thing I'd love to do, apart from helping the surf school develop their own uh, their own project and provide them with the surf network of people to help them with brand partnerships or 
technical coaching. They've already got these guys in place, but they need a bit of structure and they need to get a bit of money for what they're doing too. Um, besides that, I want to help them encourage more girls in the favela to start surfing. And I also want to help them reduce the waste and water pollution that's going on there. Um, so I'm talking to a couple of academics and professors about helping with the environmental stuff um, and different brands to get on board and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we'll really be pushing this and it's going to be a lot of work. But out of everything we've done, this is what I'm most passionate about. Nice one. Mikey, cheers for coming in, man. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. In my opinion, the very best travel writing and travel documentaries are the ones that zoom right in without any filters into a moment or uh, individual or a cross section of society. And it feels like this is exactly what Goma are going to capture with their documentary. So I'm really excited to see the final cut. And if you're interested in Goma's documentary and the developments of their work in Brazil, you can check out their Instagram page at Goma Collective. Thank you to Mikey for coming in. Cheers also to George D and Keith Drew from Rough Guides. My producer, Alana Chance, Olivia Toy for helping out in the studio. And thank you to my exec producers, Laura Sheeter and Ruth Barnes from Chalk and Blade. And if you're enjoying the podcast and want to keep up to date with our episodes, you can subscribe right now. It's free and takes just one click. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes. We would love to hear from you. <laughs>